Welcome to Studies in the Scriptures with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, a broadcast ministry of Return to the Word and made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. We are back in Ruth in the opening verses of chapter 4. Now the last chapter of Ruth can be broken down into two basic scenes. The first scene is at the gate of Bethlehem, which is pretty much the legal setting of a court. The second scene is in the latter half of the chapter with Ruth giving birth to a child. Now, as we go through this, notice that Boaz is the one taking the initiative. Boaz is the one that goes to the gate. Boaz calls the other kinsmen over to him. Boaz calls the elders of the city together. Boaz is the one that presents the situation to the other kinsmen. Time after time in chapter 4, Boaz is the one that is taking charge of the situation. Now, the first thing that we read in verse 1 is that Boaz went up to the gate and sat down. Verse 1 tells us, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, my friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. Boaz going up to the gate and sitting down, this reflects the idea that Bethlehem was situated higher than the land around it. Remind yourself that the city gates during this time in history were pretty elaborate. They had lookout towers on the outside and they had a series of rooms on both sides of the gate area where men could defend the town gate from inside these rooms. But these gates had a second purpose. They became the gathering place, the place to conduct official business. Normally when a person would come in from the fields, they would pass right through the gate and go straight to their home. But we don't get the impression from verse 1 that Boaz even took the time to go home. It seems that he went just directly to the gate. Don't pass by the simple statement that Boaz sat there. I mean, what does this mean? What is the significance of this being here? The people would have recognized that by sitting down at the gate, Boaz had arrived for official business. Typically, they had benches inside the rooms that made up the structure of the gate. And if you sat down on a bench, you were making it known that you had official business to do. But notice the sovereignty of God in the next part of verse 1. Boaz sits down and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Remember back in verse 13 of chapter 3, Boaz took the oath that as the Lord lives, Boaz would resolve the matter in the morning. Now, I would tend to think because it was fairly early in the morning that this man was probably on his way out to work out in the fields. And the new King James has Boaz telling this kinsman, come aside, friend, sit down here. Now, most of the translations say it this way, calling the man friend. And there might be a footnote in your Bible that literally the Hebrew reads so-and-so. Because if you were reading the Hebrew, it would read that Boaz said, come aside so-and-so, sit down here. And there's a purpose for this. This was a basic expression of speech that they would use if they were trying to hold back and leave out the name of the person involved. Follow the details of the book. The human author of Ruth has been very careful all throughout the book to preserve the names of the people involved. But here I doubt that Boaz actually called out, hey, <laughs> so-and-so. But the writer, for one reason or another, left this man's name out of the story. 
Some say it was to keep the focus on Boaz and not on this other man. Others say it was because it was intended to shame this man because he would not redeem Ruth. We don't really know. With verse 2, Boaz now takes the next step. Verse 2 teaches, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. He gathered together men of the elders of the city, having them sit down to witness the events. Boaz had to gather together enough men to constitute a legal assembly. The men needed to be citizens of Bethlehem. By reading that these men were elders, it means that they were men that were responsible for the administration of the town. The fact that the elders of the town left whatever they were doing to come meet with Boaz gives us another indication that Boaz was a man of some standing. So now at this point you have Boaz and you have Mr. So-and-so and then you have 10 elders of the city gathered together as witnesses. With verse three, we see that Boaz wasted no time and he got to the heart of the matter. Notice what he said. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of the land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. In verse three, what is the core issue that Boaz is bringing up? It is Elimelech's portion of land, which goes back to the dividing of the land among the tribes and clans of Israel underneath the leadership of Joshua. According to the Mosaic law, this land was never to leave the family. Boaz reminds this man that the owner of the land was their brother. In other words, Elimelech was a relative to both of them. Now we've looked at Deuteronomy 25 before, which dealt with the immediate brothers of a man that died. How closely related Boaz and this other man were, we can only speculate. But let's look at something in Numbers chapter 27 and remind yourself that the passage in Deuteronomy 25 deals with the widow of a deceased brother. Here in Numbers 27, the issue doesn't deal with the widow, but deals with the inheritance of a man that dies without children. Numbers says, starting in verse 8, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statue of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. When it came to land and property, the word of God told them to work their way down that list to the closest living relative. It seems that the custom that the Hebrews had was to follow this same practice when it came to the widow and the responsibility of raising up an heir to the dead relative. Now, our text back in Ruth does not tell us exactly how each man was related to Elimelech, but Mr. So-and-so, this other relative, was of closer relation to Elimelech than Boaz was. Back in Ruth, Notice once again the text in verse 3. Some translations say that Naomi had sold the land that belonged to Elimelech. I don't think that's quite right. This would stand in total opposition to the customs that they had in Israel concerning land ownership. 
As a widow, Naomi would have been in no position to sell the land. In fact, if you think back to Numbers 27, the land would pass down to a son or daughter, brother, uncle, or other near relative. But there's no hint of a widow being allowed to claim the land. This is why in the nation of Israel, we see such a focus in the Mosaic law about the need to protect the widow. Because when a husband died, the wife lost everything. So first of all, the land would have transferred to either a son or daughter of Elimelech or the closest living male relative. It really would not have been Naomi's to sell. Second, think with me that if Naomi would have sold the land before this, I doubt that Ruth and Naomi would be so poor. The word that is used that is translated as sold in the New King James, it definitely can mean sold, but it doesn't always mean this. Oftentimes, the word is used simply to mean to hand over. In this situation, I think this is a better translation of what is taking place. Now remember, according to passages such as Leviticus 27, after 49 years, the Jews had the Jubilee year. During the Jubilee year, all land would go back to the original owner. So in some aspects, you never had a true sale of land that was permanent. Land could be handed over to another person until the next Jubilee year, but eventually it would go back to the original family. And when land was handed over to another person, this person now had the right to use the land until the next Jubilee year. The issue involved was not really ownership. The issue was not Naomi selling the land that belonged to her deceased husband. It wasn't hers to sell because ownership of the land would go to either a son or daughter if need be, or the next living male relative. Now, at this point, this leaves us to ask the question, what happened to Elimelech's land while he was in Moab? I have to think that moving to Moab was a last resort. I must think that before Elimelech would have done such a drastic thing to move his entire family to Moab, he would have tried just about everything else before this, keeping in mind it was considered shameful to move to Moab. So before Elimelech would have moved his family, I believe that most likely he would have handed over his land until the next jubilee for money to someone else. Once the money from this was used up, then Elimelech would have been left with two choices. Either sell himself into slavery, which the practice of a poor man selling himself into slavery is outlined in Leviticus 25, or he would have been forced to move to a place where food was available. Being that he had a family, Elimelech chose the lesser of two evils. Remind yourself that 10 years had gone by. Not only had Elimelech and his two sons died in the land of Moab, but the clear impression from the book of Ruth is that when Naomi got back to Bethlehem, the land of Elimelech had fallen into the hands of someone outside the family. Elimelech probably gave it up for cash before they moved to Moab. Either way, when Naomi and Ruth returned, they could not just simply reclaim the land and begin making a living from the land. Instead, we saw that they were left scavenging for food. The land was now in the hands of someone else. But take a look at verse 4. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then Tell me that I may know. 
for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, so far, this is all about land. But let's head over to Leviticus 25, and let's pick up chapter 25 of Leviticus with verse 25. There it says, If one of your brother becomes poor and has sold some of his possessions, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession." But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. There was really two issues taking place in our text. Not only was there the issue of who was going to take care of Naomi and Ruth and raise up the family name, but the other issue was who was going to take care of the land that Elimelech must have handed over to someone else. Eventually, in roughly another 40 or so years, it would return to the family again in the year of the Jubilee. But that's still a long way off. And if someone didn't continue the family line with Ruth, there would be no family to return the land to. So based on this passage in Leviticus 25, a family member had the right to redeem the land without waiting for the year of Jubilee. So let's head back to Ruth again and understand that as we go through this, Boaz was following this exact pattern of how they conducted the official business in that day. Once they had the elders of the city sitting down as witnesses and both parties were sitting, Boaz announced the occasion for calling them together. Now again, I don't really like the word buy all that much in verse 4 because it doesn't have much to do with buying the land as it does paying for the rights to use the land. The land would always belong to the family, but the rights to the land had gone to someone else. And the message from Boaz was simple, either redeem the land or let me. Now, the key to understanding a lot of this passage is to remember that for the nation of Israel, they had a completely different understanding of the importance of the land and the importance of carrying on the family name. For the Hebrew people, the land was a gift from God, and they understood that it must stay in the family. When this other kinsman, Mr. So-and-so, was under the impression that it was just the land, he was willing to live up to his responsibility. But here comes the rest of the story in verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Verse 5 is another verse that I think would be better if the text didn't have the word buy. I think the word acquire is more accurate. I also don't think that this verse should read that this man would have to acquire the land from Ruth. In other words, it should read like this. On the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess. He's saying it's a package deal. Ruth and the rights to the land went hand in hand. But notice how he described Ruth. He referred to her as the Moabitess. Now think of how this might have affected this other kinsman. It might have discouraged him from stepping forward as the Redeemer. But 
From Boaz's point of view, this was a true statement. It was something he should have definitely made known to this man, but it also had the potential to affect the outcome because people from Moab, I mean, come on, they were not exactly popular in those days. But what was made clear through this process is that the family lineage of Elimelech was holding on by a weak thread. Naomi was an elderly widow past the age of childbearing, and Ruth was Elimelech's daughter-in-law from Moab. Redeeming Ruth was the only hope for redeeming the family line. Whoever redeemed the land must also marry Ruth and father a child through her on behalf of Elimelech and on behalf of Milan. Notice the purpose of this is listed at the end of verse 5. It was to perpetuate or literally to raise up the name of the dead through his inheritance. Now we've looked at Deuteronomy 25 before about the responsibilities to raise up a son for a dead brother. And as we've made mention before, neither man was legally bound to follow Deuteronomy 25 because neither man was a direct brother of Milan. But this didn't stop the moral obligation to redeem this family line. We have the well-being of Ruth and Naomi. We have the land of Elimelech and the family line, which would one day lead to King David. Now, think about this other man for just a second. At this point, he actually had three options. First, even though he was not legally bound to do so, he could accept moral responsibility for Elimelech's estate. He could redeem the field, marry Ruth, and ensure the well-being of Naomi. This obviously would have been an honorable course of action. Second, he could have redeemed the field but rejected the responsibility of marrying Ruth and thereby giving the right to marry Ruth to the next in line, which was Boaz. But to do this, this would have cost him greatly in terms of respect and honor in that town. And if Boaz would have redeemed the name of Elimelech by producing an heir through Ruth, this child could one day come back and lay claim to the land of Elimelech. And Boaz He was already heading off this option when he said, on the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Or third, this man could reject the offer completely, giving the rights to the land and to marrying Ruth to Boaz. Boaz had indicated to him that if he was unwilling, Boaz was next in line and would be interested. So take a look at verse six. This man chose the third option. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, it's hard to know exactly what this man meant by saying that if he did this, he would ruin his own inheritance. Three possibilities exist. First, when adding up the financial cost of redeeming the property, plus the cost of providing for Naomi, plus the cost of marrying Ruth and taking care of her and a future child, he may have simply determined he didn't have the financial ability. Remember that they were coming off a long period of having a famine in the land. It could have become a burden to him and could drain the resources that he had inherited from his own ancestors. Secondly, he probably also thought through the implications of raising up the name of the deceased. This man was probably older as well, given his age and the age of Ruth. He may have thought that she might bear him only one child. And since this child would be legally considered the heir and descendant of Elimelech, upon this man's death, 
this child would then inherit the entire property that this man held. If Ruth was only able to have one child, this man's entire estate would fall under the line of Elimelech, and his own name would then disappear. Third, the possibility does exist that this man shuddered at the thought of having his own estate falling into the hands of a child that had a mother that was from Moab. Verse 7 explains for us what is about to happen in our passage. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. We need to keep in mind here that in the ancient world, sandals were the normal footgear, and generally they were made of leather and fastened with straps or laces. And the custom that they had was to take off your sandal and give it to the person next in line for redeeming the land or redeeming a widow. Back in our passage in Deuteronomy 25, this is the passage that we've looked at before, where it says, if a brother were to die, the surviving brother should marry the widow to carry on the family name of the first brother. Let's read Deuteronomy 25, verses 7 through 10. But if a man does not take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel, and he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so it shall be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. Now in this passage and in this situation, notice who it was that removed the sandal of the surviving brother. It was the widow, wasn't it? And she even got to spit in the man's face. But back in our passage in Ruth, the situation is a little different, isn't it? There was no spitting and we don't see the widow involved. Now think about this with me. The fact that the human author of Ruth mentions that this used to be the custom in the former times in Israel teaches us that at the time of writing this book, it probably was no longer the custom that things had changed. And verse seven was put in to explain the custom to those living in the day that this book was written. Because remember, some time had passed between the events of this book until the time it was actually written down. This man was symbolizing with the handing over of his sandal that he was giving up his rights to have the opportunity to redeem the land and to redeem Ruth it would now pass to the next in line, which was Boaz. This was the custom at this time in the nation of Israel when they would exchange the land or redeem a widow. This is the way that they would make things official. This is the way that they would confirm things during this time. Speaking of time, this is where we'll have to stop, picking up the rest of chapter four in our next study together in Studies in the Scriptures. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. 
Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path.